Today's episode of the City of Smack podcast on the City of Smack podcast network is brought to you by Momentus. Get your hands on the cleanest and safest supplements on the market. Over the past couple weeks, I've been able to try Momentus as one of the newest additions to my training regimen as I set out to break five minutes for the mile this summer and then chase a sub three marathon this fall. It is NSF certified for sport, which means you can trust and believe that what's on the label matches up with what's actually in the package. That's an awesome peace of mind to have as an athlete. Momentus works with athletes in running, cycling, rock climbing, skiers, and even NFL football players. At the same time, they're also delivering results when it comes to working with recreational runners and people like me that just want to push themselves to their best. One of the reasons I think I haven't lived up to my potential on the track, and I'm talking specifically about that sub five mile for me, is my struggles with recovering after training. So of course, lots of things play into that. You've got the fact that I stay up late editing these shows for you guys. I've got a ton of other work to do, but the most important component goes back to sleep that's where momentous elite sleep has come into the picture the melatonin included in this unique formula is the most heavily researched sleep supplement it's got magtine which is a highly bioavailable form of magnesium that has been shown to reduce feelings of stress anxiety and worry it's also got wild jujube seeds which has helped cut down on slight insomnia symptoms and waking up randomly in the middle of the night So I've been feeling a difference for sure and waking up much more refreshed. So try it for yourself. City of Smack podcast listeners will generously receive 20% off their first order of Momentus by using the promo code Sidious at checkout when you visit livemomentus.com. That's Sidious at checkout for 20% off your first order, whether it's the sleep formula, plant protein, whey protein, it, live it, prove it, livemomentus.com. Use promo code Sidious at checkout. Big love to the backers on Patreon who keep this show going strong by covering some of our hosting expenses and back all of the projects over at Sidious Mag. Throw us a couple bucks, whether it's $1, $5. I'm super grateful for your support. You guys are the ones that help us put together events and coverage, so much appreciated. Thanks to John Longo for joining the efforts this week, and you can be just like John if you sign up over at patreon.com slash SidiousMag. You can also support us by picking up a sweater, a crew neck, or a t-shirt over at SidiousMag.com and hitting the merch tab. We just came out with some new designs, so check those out today. My guest for today's episode is Zach Clark. Some of you might be familiar with him since he won the most recent season of The Bachelorette and is currently engaged to Tasha Adams. In this episode, you'll learn a lot about Zach's come up in New Jersey and the many struggles along the way in his life, which really spiraled after he underwent surgery to remove a brain tumor and then got addicted to pain medication shortly thereafter. Drinking, drugs, and partying took a toll on him and his relationship at the time. So there's a lot in his life story which was shared a bit on national television last fall. Zach went to rehab and got his life together and now serves as the co-founder of Release Recovery, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that's dedicated to ensuring all of those who are ready and willing to seek professional treatment are able to. So Release Recovery's foundation offers scholarships to try and bridge the gap between what people can afford and what they need to get the resources and the help that they need. Trust me when I say it, running does come into the picture on this show, and it's one of Zach's biggest passions. He's run the New York City Marathon four times. He plans on running London and New York this fall. He's been joining me and a couple friends for workouts the past couple months. So we're working on getting him faster, 
And in response, he says we have to commit to doing one hard effort with him a year. So that's how I got roped into doing and attempting the David Goggins challenge with him next week. So it's four miles every four hours for 48 hours. It's a grand total of 48 miles. A bunch of people did it at the beginning of March. I saw it all over Instagram. And when we recorded this conversation at the beginning of the month, we decided we're going to do this the weekend of April 9th to 11th. So keep your eyes peeled on Zach's social media page as well as my own for updates on how we're doing. I know it's not going to be easy, but I'm ready to push my limits and hopefully raise some good money along the way. If you're feeling inspired from Zach's story, we're calling on you to see if you can find 48 bucks for the 48 miles that we're going to run along the way, or maybe $4.80, whatever it is. It's going to a good cause. I'll include the links to the Release Recovery Foundation in the show notes. My friend Zach Price, who's been on the show in the past, also joins for this conversation. So without further ado, here is Zach Clark. All right, we're here on Spring Street. Just after a nice little three-mile run in the morning, I'm joined by my co-host for this episode. You've been on, and you've done this before, Zach. Happy to be back. Zach Price is in the house, and we've got a special guest for this one, Zach Clark. Zach, you've blown up, I guess, within the last, like, uh, I, what is it, 12 months even? You know, it's still still funny to hear someone say that. I still just think of myself as a normal dude, so it's all kind of surreal, but yeah, I went on a television show, and all of a sudden people care. What I say. <laughs> so it's gonna be funny because we're we'll take it sort of like well chronologically, but I do want to touch on them. So it's like maybe what six months ago, uh, you had less than a thousand followers. Didn't even post really on Instagram, and then just sort of like how did that explode? How did you take that explosion, and what is it like now? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have asked me about that, and um, you know, I think like social media was something obviously I was aware of, and happening in our world. Um, more so, I was familiar with like the process addiction side of it and what it was doing to our, our youth, you know, like just the, the, the kids being on their phones all day. But, um, you know, to answer your question, I think for me, when I decided to go on the show, um, The Bachelorette, I promised myself to kind of say true, true, true to who I was, right? So even coming out of it and having the experience I had, getting engaged in education, doing all those things, you know, I've continued to try and just stay in my lane with with social media and, and you know, I'm a pretty simple guy. I love Philadelphia sports, you know, I love sneakers and uh, I'm very passionate about, you know, addiction recovery and mental, mental health. So um, just using that platform to the bullshit, obviously, like a little bit about like whatever. Yeah, but if, if you harness the good, it's it's, yeah. uh, it's a powerful, powerful medium. And that's been the biggest blessing outside of, you know, getting engaged. It's just been, I, 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 there's been hundreds of people that have reached out via DM and been able to get them some help, you know, behind the scenes. So that's been cool. That's, that must be like the most interesting part of it is just like, and I think the very first time we met, one of the first things I asked you is like, what are your, what do your DMs look like? Because, you know. It's half maybe, you know, super fans of the show. It's then the brands reaching out and being like, hey, you know, we want to partner you with you on this. And so how have you tried to sort of vet that and like weed out just, you know, focusing on, on helping people? It must be just so much to try and even like find. 
Yeah, I've had to have a little grace with myself. You know, like my personality, I want to write everyone back, and it's just that these days it's not possible, right? Like I have a life outside of that phone. And, um, but if people write with a purpose or something sticks out, I'll, I'll certainly like write them back. And like I said, if we can be of assistance from like, you know, my work or my team or whatever else, we'll, we'll do that. And sometimes it's just connecting a, you know, a family member who's been through it to, to a resource. Maybe they can get into therapy or whatever it is. And sometimes it's the actual person reaching out and saying like, how do I, how do I get the rehab? Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty um, easy thing for us to help with these days. This morning we started off with a nice like, you know, three mile easy run. Uh, you know, the three of us have to go to, to work after this, but so like, what is, what does your day sort of look like and how, how was it, you know, a year ago? And I mean, it just sounds like you really haven't wanted to change too much of it. No, I mean, look, I, my dad always said like, find a job where it doesn't feel like you're working. Mm -hmm. Right. And I've, I've been able to do that. I think growing up, I had nightmares about being in a position where I was showing up at the same office every day and checking into the same cubicle and like being around the same. And I, I have like <laughs> blown that nightmare out of the water. You know, like my, my day to day life is, is very different. You know, I could be on an intervention one day going to someone's home and then the next, you know, crammed into an office doing accounting or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, but I do try to stay, you know, somewhat routine in the morning and, that's something when I got sober that, you know, I realized the importance of kind of getting quiet with some meditation in the morning and drinking a bunch of water and trying to get a little bit of sunlight. And I think that's like the Ar Aubrey Marcus. I don't know if you guys know this guy. I read his book at one point and like, he was just like, start the day with some water, some sunlight, some movement. And so if I can do those things, I'm, I'm off to a good start. So I guess that's what you mean by uh, waking up and seeing life in HD compared to most people. Yeah. yeah I said that, I said that a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if it was on a, podcast but that's been my experience man is you know I lived a certain way for so long for 27 years truly like whether I was getting hammered or not like I was just I was living a life that was so like selfish and self-centered that I wasn't actually awake to the rest of the world and uh, these days I, I, I truly like I wake up I get out of bed and I feel like I have this kind of like competitive advantage against the rest of the world because of my sobriety you know it's just that's what it is and so um yeah hd for yeah. sure I, i've certainly felt the competitive disadvantage so <laughs> I, know, I know what you're talking about um you know whether it's for a run or just waking up for work but you know it's definitely obvious you know how, how you can see it that way versus some others yeah at this juncture in your life well it's just fun. i mean i met you guys your friends obviously and, and through running and friend of friend and how we meet people in new york and it's just hilarious because <laughs> I mean, Me too. Hated. It's a spaz So if you want to just look at a microcosm of my life, like hated running, loves running. You know, like that's, and then I've had that experience with so many different things in my life. So, so we'll, we'll get to the entry point in running for you because it comes much, much later in life. But you did mention it's like growing up, like the job that you had your sights on and just like what your dad had told you, but let's, let's take it all the way back. Where were you growing up? What were the first early dreams? It's like, what, what did you want to be growing up? Well, I always wanted to play professional baseball. That's right? what I figured. Yeah. That was always the dream. And, uh, I grew up in South Jersey, a little town called Haddonfield, right out, right outside of Philadelphia. So, uh, grew up, 
going to Eagles games, going to Phillies games, going to Sixers games, go going birds. to Flyers games, yeah, go Birds. I don't know what's going on. That's a, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but, um, you know, and then I played football, basketball, baseball, you know, and, and throughout my uh, entire, like, middle school and, and high school. And I, I laugh today because I feel like, our youth is like they're doing like this specialty training. Like people are doing like sports year round. I feel like they're being robbed of that, you know, experience of playing multiple sports. So, you know, I was a competitive guy. I was never like the best player on the team. You know, I went to a pretty competitive high school and we had good athletes around us, but I kind of fell in line with baseball and then went to a small division three school out in Pennsylvania, York college and pitched there for four years and, and really, um, I love the game, but again, that's like the first data point I can look to. And obviously there's no, there's no redos in life, but that's an experience I would have loved to have, um, without drugs and alcohol, because I feel like, you know, I was able to put together four decent years, but had I really been under the mindset of that I'm, that I'm living with today, it could have been a much better experience. Yeah. When, when did that start? Oh, I mean, I started, I mean, like, you know, it's like I started drinking when I was, uh, you know, eighth and ninth grade, whatever it was, and like, you know, in the woods, belting out classic rock songs, whatever it is, you know, running from cops and all that, and I knew from a young age that I kind of, like, I liked it a little too much, but it wasn't until I really kind of got sober that I realized what it was doing to my life and coming out on the other side of it, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, you hear, like, functional alcoholic or, or, or whatever it is. And I don't necessarily like love that term, but I was able to get by for, for a good amount of time just kind of ripping and running. Yeah, and then I guess like right from, it's sort of when you get to college, it's just like that newfound sort of additional sense of freedom. It's like you can eat whatever you want. And then on top of that, it's just like the social aspect of it just kind of heightens that as well. Did that just sort of accelerate things? Yeah, I mean, like, I always can, I always describe my high school experience as kind of like the days confused yeah. experience, you know, like, that's yeah. when I see, when I saw that movie, I was like, that's us, you know, like, that's who we thought we were. I don't think we Our were that. might be a little before your time. <laughs> I don't know, it was McConaughey, that's his first one, right? You no, know, I read something the other day, that, that film was made in 1993, but it was based off uh, 1976, mm-hmm. so that film was made today to be based off 2004, <laughs> that screwed me up. <laughs> Uh, I, I saw like two or three movies the other day that were 93, like Sandlot, uh, League of Their Own. I think like Mighty Ducks was 93. I mean, that, I was. Well, yeah, they say 93, 94 is like the strongest year the, for movies. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. They don't make movies like that anymore. No, and those are untouchables. They should never be remade. Agreed. Yeah. Although D4 would be interesting. <laughs> Where are we going with that again? I got these. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you said you'd watch. Oh, no, yeah. So, like, my red, like, I felt like it was almost my, like, my badge of honor coming into college that I had to show everyone else how to drink, right? Like, so that first weekend, I was like, just had to do it. And I remember we got busted my freshman year by one of, like, you know, the RAs or whatever. They they broke down the door, came in, and I thought my life was over. You know, I thought I was being kicked off the baseball team, and they called my parents. I remember having to, like, you know, meet them and, and, and tell them what had happened. And, so funny like I wish I had known them but I know now like, it's just not that big of a deal <laughs> was the, the the vision for baseball like how far did you sort of want to take it or did in college did you know you sort of realize the, the majors are slipping away yeah I mean I think I always lived like so baseball was uh, 
like a lot of father sons, like a really special bond that I have with my old man, you know, and we spent hundreds of hours just, you know, in the cage or long tossing or, or whatever it is. And, um, so that was a huge part of it. And that continued through college. And, and, you know, I'm someone that like, I'm a traditionalist. Like I wanted to make my dad proud, you know? And so like, I really pushed it to the level to which I could push it. And, you know, being left-handed and like, you know, whatever, like I, I had some delusions, right? Like most young guys do that I would take this thing all the way. Um, but I always loved sports, right? Like I was always an athlete. And I studied sport management in college, which I'm obviously doing nothing with today, but, uh, never too late. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. You can make parallels. <laughs> but, you know, I think I had intentions of continuing to play after college and, you know, kind of like one thing led to another, and here I was, like, being thrown into, like, much to my chagrin, like, corporate America. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I got my first job, and that really, like, opened Pandora's box. I was like, oh, all right, like, if I make a few phone calls and this number next to my name is okay, like, I can literally do whatever the hell I want. And I fell into kind of, like, this boiler room atmosphere, and from there it was game over. That, that atmosphere gets pretty intense, and, yeah. you know, coupled with, you know, the addictive personalities, right, it's, the boiler room itself, the competitive nature, it's not that healthy. No. And I remember, like, I remember the gap between, you know, as it kind of, like, pertains to, like, what I do now athletically and how I, you know, live my life, like, the gap between finishing baseball in college I coached for a little bit, and then I just started to hate it. You know, like I just started to hate it because I was like, what was the point? Why did I put all that time in? And looking back now, those are some of the best memories of my life, but um, I just, I started to hate sports. I started to hate working out. Like, it just became, like, this devil to me. And, um, thank God I, like, turned it around because sports are the best. Yeah, they are. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I only got up to high school sports, hated running just like you. (laughs) And, you know, I had a pretty decent high school lacrosse career. And, you know, I was at an inflection point a little bit earlier on, kind of my junior year when all the recruiting started happening. Do I want to dedicate the next four years at a smaller D2, D3 school? Or do I want to go and uh, honestly use the word party and just like, just go get fucked up in college? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would say I chose the route of not playing lacrosse, but that, that's kind of how I felt for like those four years. Can you kind of like resent the sport that you feel like you missed out on some high school action by just, you know, living and breathing? You know, because when, when you're in at that level, whether it's high school or college, and you're all in, it, it's cons- fully consuming of, of your life. Yeah, it's fine. I think uh, <laughs> I always tell this story. My old man was. Uh, a businessman, you know, the valley's doing. So when I was looking at colleges, I, I basically had like this group of kind of division three schools where I knew I could go and play and, and pretty much play right away. Right. Like start getting like that was important to me. And then I had this kind of group of division one schools, University of Miami, University of Maryland, McGraw, Maryland, my dad was Miami, a couple others, Delaware. Go Terps. And, and uh, you serve? 
And uh, <laughs> I remember we, we saw Gettysburg and York in the same day. And I think York was going to be like 12 grand a year, 11 grand a year, which was like nothing at the time. And Gettysburg was like 40 grand. So we were driving back and we were in a, in like a, a GMC, Jimmy, a truck. And my dad's like, here's the deal. If you go to York, you can have the truck we're driving in. If you go to Gettysburg, you'll be paying off loans for the next 10 years. Like, sign me up. Like, I never <laughs> thought twice about it. Like, the car. And he knew what he was doing because he wanted me to play baseball. And so, like, I don't know, man. These kids today that just, like, are so defined with their parents, I can't. I don't get Like, I still love my parents. I listen to, like, the shit they say. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was immediately after uh, college. Did you make your way to New York? Or? No. No, I didn't get to New York. I've been in New York almost 10 years now, but I, I graduated college. I was dating a girl who I would eventually marry, who's now my ex-wife. Um, and how did this go? We kind of, we actually moved to Princeton for a hot minute because she was teaching up in like, it was basically the middle point between where I was working in Conshohocken, Pennsylvania, where she was working in Jersey. So we just like settled on this weird, awkward, apartment like in the middle of a place neither of us had ever lived and we did that for a year and then we finally like moved back down to South Jersey because in my head right like you talk about like living in HD and what life is supposed to be I grew up in a home where I was like one of four kids and my parents and like that's what I thought I was destined to do so in my mind it was like okay find the girl get the house move home live suburban life have four kids right off in the sunset my life does not exactly look like that today. <laughs> well, it's wild because, you know, that's, you're, what, 21, 22 at this point? Yeah. That's so fast. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. And then, so, yeah, we moved to South Jersey, and then I ended up getting a brain tumor, and that was a whole, like, ordeal. Um, How'd you learn that? You know, it was it was crazy, Chris. I was, of course, it had to do with partying. Me and my... College friends had rented a house in the Jersey Shore, which Zach knows well. Um, <laughs> spent some time down there. And we were packing the car up to go down, throwing the beers in the cooler, the steaks, the whole thing. And like, I just didn't feel right. And I told, you know, my parents, and when I was closing my eyes, I was kind of seeing kaleidoscopes, and everyone thought I was full of shit. I'm like, dude, just hung over. Like, that, like, they had seen it so many times, so it was like the boy who cried wolf, right? Like they just figured that I had tied one on the night before, and I was just bitching about a hangover. But it ended up being real. I went to this like side of the road X-ray scan place, and I don't think this woman had ever actually seen anything come up on a scan because she came in the room like white as a ghost, and she's like, "You need to sit right there." Like, what are you talking about? There's something going on, and uh, sure enough, I was at University of Penn Hospital within. Um, 24 hours getting this thing cut out of my head. And that was supposed to be the life-changing moment, right? Like, that was supposed to be the moment of clarity. That was supposed to be, oh, my God, you dodged this bullet. But for me, I was like, fuck, no, this is great. Like, I have this excuse now. I can go do whatever the hell I want because I'm like this comeback story of sorts and no one can question my drinking. And now, like, you know, I'm introduced to painkillers because of that. And so it was just the perfect storm for me. And from that moment forward, it was a pivotal point in my life, not because of like the good that you think one would take away from that experience, but it actually like sped up my desire to get married. So like I was like, oh, now I have to propose to this woman. It's meant to be, and you know, it just set off this sequence of events. It's so insane to think about today. Yeah. 
it was an inflection point that took you the, the other way yeah. as opposed to where, where ordinarily you would think it yeah. goes in the opposite way. Well, it's just so crazy to think, right? Like, here I am in this hospital bed for, if I'm in the hospital, 25 days, right, total. I don't know if a minute went by where there wasn't someone in that room who loved me, right? So if I look into my life, in that moment, I should be so grateful because, like, here I am with all this love, all these people around me, and I wasn't able to say it. Like, what was going through my head was, like, okay, I'm going to get out of here, and I'm going to be able to drink like I want to drink, and I'm going to be able to do the things that I want to do. And, you know, I had already started kind of living this lie, and, and this was just going to perpetuate that. So it's, uh, it's crazy, and I think about it now. Like, there was no one, like, no one came into my room. There was no, like, therapy. There was no one, like, coming came and talked to me about like what how this was gonna impact my life. So um, I don't know man, it's just it's, it's hard. What was it so you said living on lie, what how how much sort of like did did lying just start to also like play a role and like and like spiral into all other parts of your life? I mean you know, like I always say the first time I took a sip of alcohol, I was at a Christmas party. And it's a party we went to every year. And the theme was typically parents hanging out, kids hanging out, kids break away from parents, go behind garage, drink beer, right? So I was invited finally, and I had my first beer. And I went back to that party, and my parents obviously asked, like, where were you? Oh, lie. What were you doing? Lie. And to my surprise, no one found out. I woke up the next morning, Christmas went on as planned, and... So in my mind, something registered at that moment that if I lied, I could get away with it. And it became, yeah, a common thread throughout my life. And, and I've learned that it's more, like what that comes back to for me is caring way too much what other people think about me. You know, and just like giving my power away, um, which is what I see so much in my work today is these young guys that come in and they get sober and, and the fear is what really cripples them. You know, you have these guys that, Division one sports or whatever it is, and 21, 22, they're getting, they're trying to get sober because of whatever happened, and they present this this like strapping stud, and, and in reality they're just like crippled by fear, and they they they're held back by like what the world thinks of them, and so especially today, man, it's, it's such a curse. Well, I feel like today addiction or not, a, a, a lot more people are guilty of thinking of, of what other people think about them, and holds back a lot of people and also exposes them in just a really negative light too. And it's just, it's just not good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that like, for so many years I was so obsessed with things that just weren't important, right? Mm-hmm. So after the surgery, uh, how does, I'm trying to just kind of piece this timeline in yeah. my head. The, the marriage, I guess, like, how how did that sort of get impacted by everything going on in your life? Yeah, so I, I mean, I know the timeline. So I got married in 2009, which is crazy to even say out loud. That's 2021. Fuck. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> um, and I was the first of my friends to get married. We had the big, you know, shore, uh, like shore wedding down in, you know, Cape May, New Jersey, and there was 250, 300 people there. We had a blast and whatever else like that. But at that moment, you know, I had already started 
like I, I had had the surgery, I kind of formed this habit to uh, pain pills. You know, the woman that I married was a saint. She's a saint. She's an amazing human being, school teacher. I mean, just, you know, as good as they get. But I wasn't, you know, I wasn't ready. And I just, uh, I, was in, I was in the grips of this thing. So I got married, went on the honeymoon, came back. And in my mind, right, like, and, and we talk about this a lot in, in my world. Um, because I think to the, to the normal folk who has no experience with drug addiction, alcoholism, any of that stuff, he would look at my life and say, dude, wake up. And like my father and my parents, my friends, many, many times had that conversation. Like, I don't understand. You're going to ruin your life. You're going to burn everything down. But it kind of like, like what I said, like no amount of love is going to get me sober. It's just not. I mean, like at that moment, I had everything that I could have asked for, right? Like this marriage, this life, this family, this, like the, 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 if anyone on the outside looked at it, they'd be like, yeah, I'd sign up for that life. But, um, and then from there, it just, you know, it was, it was a nasty kind of like, I got sober in 2011, so you can kind of do the math from 2009 to 2011. Uh, you know, just progressed to a place of hard drugs and weird times and, you know, uh, multiple rehab stints and the whole thing. And, and, you know, eventually it kind of like it took what it took and I got to a place where I was finally ready to, to surrender. But um, it wasn't until I was 27 years old. It's interesting because, like, I feel like you must get the question from time to time where it's like, if you can go back in time, you right now, and, and see your younger self, and like, what would you tell them to kind of, you know, prevent sort of that spiral? But it doesn't sound like there's really anything you could have said or, or even shaken that younger self, right? Yeah, people talk about that all the time, right? Like, I, I, I think one of the things that I always think about, because people ask, like, what would you change? Mm -hmm. And I think I need to really be able to lean into my experience and I wouldn't change anything because it got me to a place like those, those moments of desperation and those moments of really being at a bottom got me to a place where I am so convinced that I need to be living the way that I'm living today. There's just no alternative. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I could go back and, and try to talk some sense into a younger Zach, but he was a total fucking idiot. Yeah, and this act subscribes to, you know, sometimes the worst things in life put you on the right track for the best things in life. Yeah. And, you know, gone through some similar experiences and, you know, yeah, did you not want to deal with what you had to deal with, but at the same time you wouldn't be who you are today had some issues like that not happened before. Yeah, and, and the crazy thing about my story, which I don't see too often, is I think... I think if you would have asked my friends who knew me the best, even at the, on those like those last couple of days, they wouldn't have told you that I was an alcoholic. They would have just told you, or like, mm -hmm. right, they would have said that I just like to party, which is 100% true. But it kind of like, there's 24 hours in a day. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very easy for me to like get off work, go have a couple pops with the boys. Everyone goes home. Besides me, yeah, right. You know, and I'm running to go pick up a bag of blood, whatever it is. So, um, that's the thing about this thing that's so crazy. It's like you, unless you're really living with someone, you don't actually ever know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I think I asked Zach Price here uh, when we did our podcast like two years ago. It's like, what did rock bottom sort of like look like for you? I guess similarly, like, what what did rock bottom look like? And if it, I mean, it just sounds like. 
<laughs> once you thought you hit rock bottom, you would just find somehow find a shovel and find an extra layer to get even further down. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I mean, I think it, it's pretty, it's pretty clear what happened. It was August of 2011. And I told this story a couple times, uh, a couple dozen times actually over the last several months, but you know, my family, we, we, we vacationed at the Jersey Shore and we'd had a house and I was down there for a couple of days and they kind of like knew, they saw that I was really not in a good way and I went to kind of, you know, show my face. And uh, I think it was Hurricane Irene is what was going on. Or, yeah. And I left that house and I drove down to Camden, New Jersey and I was, I don't know what I was planning to do, but I was just, I was going for it. And um, at this point I was into like some harder drugs, drinking around the clock, wasn't pretty, I remember like just running red lights the whole way down, like I just didn't give a shit and uh, I ended up at some point parking my car on the side of the road and I like if I could paint the picture for you guys, I think this is really like rock bottom, I'm pulled over on the side of the road in my silver Chevy Malibu. <laughs> so you can picture that right now there's a handle of just like the cheapest dirtiest bullshit vodka there's a there's a stack of plastic yeah plastic, plastic all the way <laughs> there's a stack of scratch off lottery tickets um and then there's you know quite a quite a few hard drugs and I was just sitting there scratching lottery tickets smoking cigarettes and I got arrested cops just like came in and it was actually guys that I had, I think, like, partied with in the past or whatever. You know, like, the guy that goes to high school and then, like, becomes a local cop. And he's like, what the fuck's going on here? Took me into the, to the police station, took the car. And I remember sitting in the jail that night, like, and they were like, do you want to call someone? Do you want to call your parents? Do you want to call your what? Your ex-wife or your wife and whatever it was. And I was like, nope, I'm good. I'm just going to wait it out. Like, I didn't even want to call anyone. And they let me out, and the next morning I, I was in the Pensacola uh, police station, which is like you know a good three four miles back to Camden. And I walked into Camden, New Jersey, and I was there for probably like three four days. And that's when like you know parents filed missing persons report. Everyone's on like kind of like the manhunt, and I was you know just doing what I was doing, mm -hmm. sleeping on the street, kind of with one eye open. Um, and what happened was my dad on a Saturday morning, which like, if you don't believe in, you know, God, spirituality, higher being, whatever, that's fine. Like, I'm not here to pitch anything on you. But if I really look at that moment of clarity for me, what happened was I went in, I had broken into my dad's office. I had stolen a check. I was going to the bank to try and cash this check so that um, I could keep running. I had two drug dealers waiting outside the bank because we were going to go, you know, do something with the money dog and bro you know these were my guys that I was like rolling around with and so at the time I'm 240 pounds uh, I have this amazing fro and I went to try and cast this check and the bank teller uh, Rhonda Jackson who I recently tracked down and got to spend some time with as a result of like this whole show and everything else knew something was wrong like she knew something was up so she called my dad so she had my dad's office number on file, not his cell phone, not her home phone, his office number. My dad, on a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, spiraling out of control, happens to be at his office. 
happens to see the phone ring, happens to pick up a phone call from an unknown number, like all things that he would never do on a Saturday morning, like who's calling you from an unknown number on a Saturday morning? But he picks up the phone and she kind of says like, hey, we have your son here. I don't know what the hell is going on, but you gotta get down here. And next thing you know, like I'm sitting there like, like waiting for my money. And to my surprise, my dad comes like bursting through the door, white as a ghost kind of puts his arm on my arm and says, son, we're going home. And that's the moment where like something, like I had a, I had an actual like out of body experience. Something left me in that moment and I surrendered and I went home to my parents' house. In Haddonfield where they were still living at the time, I spent a night or two there. They got me a bed at the uh, Karen Treatment Center out in Pennsylvania. And I stayed there for, so that was August of 2011, I stayed there for August 2011 until early January 2012 and then uh, for some incredibly insane reason I ended up in New York City mm-hmm. like a place where I never thought I would end up I mean I, I, I hate New York sports teams <laughs> I was always taught that like New York's expensive and people suck like like all the things that you kind of like hear as someone in Philadelphia um, and like it's been my safe place ever since and I can't, can't ever imagine like leaving and you just mentioned it, but where you saw treatment at Karen, you're now on the board of. Yeah. Which is really inspirational. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's just the kind of shit that I don't even take, I don't even like take a moment to kind of appreciate these days. You know, because life is so big and so beautiful. And you know, I get to sit here with you guys and, 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 and bullshit before we go to work today. And like all these moments that are just so precious to me, you know, really taking the time to kind of sit back and reflect on happened and that's one of those things that's like a say what but, but for the for those listening i mean this is a guy who was in there for treatment and is now on their board of directors yeah yeah i mean talk about the success yeah. story and in a, in a span of 10 years man. It, it's yeah. incredible it's, yeah it's really it's beautiful yeah well and that's like again i think that just goes into we always like as human beings i feel like we don't always there's a lot of people that that live their best lives or whatever it is, but we have a tendency to sell ourselves short, you know? And like, I had this thought, I don't know why earlier this week on Monday morning, I kind of woke up and I, and I thought to myself, like how many people have dreams inside of them or things that they want to do that they're just terrified to say out loud and they never do it. And then they never attack it. Right. Like until we're able to really like put it out there, you know, like that was a big thing for I, you know, even like with that, like, like I, I started to be of service to Karen very early on and I knew that I wanted to do as much as I could for that organization just by putting one foot in front of the other. I got to where I, I am today. It's just, it's crazy. Kind of in that span of time where you were in Camden and, and, and had gone missing, I'm just kind of curious, was it a sense of embarrassment that you were thinking of like going back to sort of like your family or was it just just a total unaware that you were just in this zone and just on it it just it it was just about you and and getting the next high I'm like amazed that you picked up on that because most people here sleeping on street and think like oh he was homeless I was not homeless I want to be very clear I had plenty of places to go. I have a loving family. Like it was not, I was not in a place. I just didn't want to see anyone. Yes, I was embarrassed. And that was kind of the best plan that I could come up with in that, in that moment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's crazy when I actually 
than when I actually think about it. But it took what it took. I had to have those experiences. Are there photos? I'm, I'm sure there are of that. You know, kind of that 2010, 11 period oh, yeah. of your life, and so like. What does it do for you, I guess, to, to, to look at those uh, now? And it, does it is it like visually striking when, when people do see them? Well, physically, <laughs> I was a large man, so you know that's uh, that's the first thing you're going to notice. But when you really look at a picture, and I'll show you guys the photo. I have I have I have more done here, but it's just dead. Like I'm there, like like, but nobody's home. <laughs> the engine's running, nobody's buying the milk. Yeah, it's yeah, it's sad. I, I would say release recovery um, does a really good job of celebrating anniversaries of of you know, their members and and everyone. And um, Zach's partner, Justin Gerland, who's a friend of mine, that's how Zach and I met. Uh, recently, you did a kind of before and after. Yeah, and, and I saw that. Yeah, it, it's just the guy's a stud right now. Yeah. Absolute beauty, and um, I'm, I'm sure you know, the, the now and then of yours is will be similar. Oh yeah, I know. There's like a there's a photo of me in a really bad old silver Donovan McNabb jersey, you know, <laughs> worn probably every day for like an entire year, and I'm passed out. We had a night in Philly, drinking a Fat Tuesdays. They have like these uh, whatever the drinks where they take a sip and you're blacked out whatever, yeah, that, yeah. whatever that one's called and uh, my buddy's like drawing like you know dicks on my face or whatever <laughs> whatever it is like he just and I look at that photo I'm just like oh my god I really live that way but so when you started getting help yeah, I, I mean I'm, I'm just kind of curious and a lot of people probably aren't in that world but w- what does that sort of transformation look like and how much do you have to really take it upon yourself to, to buy in and to the trust of the people around you who are at, at the very beginning of the process are just total strangers, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it, ha- like, they, they kind of, like, if, you, if you're familiar with, like, the rehab world, they kind of say, like, we're going to love you until you can love yourself. And it sounds really cheesy, but it's true. And, you know, as a society, we've painted this picture of, like, rehab is kind of like you go away for 28 days come back to the world and everything's cool. And I'm very grateful that I had people, you know, who were taking care of me that taught me that that was actually like false, right? And so I committed to long-term treatment. I, I stayed in rehab for four plus months, almost five months. And um, it was during that time that I really, like no phone, no access to the outside world, not talking to anyone, not calling anyone. Like my dad would come up on Sundays and visit talk to my mother on the phone like it was very light family communication um but I had to surrender you know like I I consider myself to be a pretty intelligent guy but when it comes to this thing like I had to let go and that was probably the most challenging thing and when I was finally able to do that and, and like just accept that I knew nothing like I know a lot of things about a lot of things but I know nothing about getting sober um that's when the shift really, really happened. And there was one day that I looked in the mirror and I remember it and I was just like, I don't even know who you are. Like, and that was a scary, like stone cold sober look to myself. Like, how the fuck did we get here? You know? And uh, that's one of those moments I think about when like, 
you're not complaining because there's traffic. You know, yeah. it, it, it could be worse. When you walk out at the end of the, the four months, I guess, like, what's that first day sort of like? And how do you know you're ready to, to leave? Well, I don't think you know you're ever ready. You know, like, I kind of explain it. The thing that's really confusing about <clears throat> this world that I that I live in and that I work in and that I'm so passionate about is if you think about it, you're kind of at your worst moment in life and you enter into a rehab or a program or a detox or whatever it is. And Ten days later, you feel great. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're like, holy shit, like, oh man, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm moving around a little bit now, like, I'm cool, like, I'm sleeping at night, I'm eating food. So the mind tells you that, like, you're good. You know, but uh, I believe that it's really like uh, an allergy, right? And so, like, if I have any taste of like drug, whatever it is, like, I'm liable to go out and, and, and start running again. And so, you know, for me, I don't think you ever know that you're ready until you're out there. But you know, I was given a few really clear suggestions as to what to do when I left, and. One of the best things I did is I didn't like rush home to where I was living before. I did come to New York. I started building a network and, you know, like they kind of say early on, make three friends. Mm-hmm. If you can make three friends, you're, you're okay. And, you know, one of those three friends I met, you just mentioned was Justin, who is now my business partner and best friend in life. And, and uh, you know, we've been doing this thing shoulder to shoulder now for, for many years and just having that because... You know, how am, I, how am I raised, right, as an athlete? Shut your mouth. Nothing hurts. You can be better than that. You know, hustle, grit. Like, all those things that I grew mm-hmm. up, like, really being prideful about. Like, I had to put all those things aside and, like, ask for help and be vulnerable. You know, and, and like, do things that are very uncomfortable for a man. Mm-hmm. Like, for me. And so, it was definitely, like, touch and go for a second. Like, when you, you know, like, when you treatment and like there's those moments of like fuck it like I'll just go burn it down and for whatever reason like I was one of the lucky ones and I and I stuck around and I haven't looked back since you know like that's the beautiful part it's amazing yeah what made you and uh, and Justin want to kind of you know now take things into your own hands and, and give back to just this entire process well look I think for me I always knew so I'm a <laughs> I'm just laughing because people, you know, like like my, like I'm a diehard Philadelphia sports fan. Like I like when I get behind something, I am full bore. Like that's just who I am. You know, I'm very passionate about it, and you know, um, it's just what I do. So when this whole new like idea came to light of like being sober, right, and like this world, I was like, let's do this. So I knew coming out of treatment that I was like, I was, I was hooked. Like I was drinking the Kool-Aid. I think my first email address was ZachRecovery21 at Gmail. Like, I, like you know, like I was, I, I was full on, you know, like I was just like, let's do this. Like, this is me. I'm, you know, I'm like, I had to slow down and like be knocked down from that pedestal a little bit because, you know, I was just a little overexcited. But, <clears throat> you know, the truth of the matter is like, I knew that I loved human beings. I knew that I loved connecting with people. I knew that like, there's some really cool things about business and, and, and some of the things I experienced prior to getting sober. And so being able to combine kind of the, that love with just like helping people seemed like a natural course for me. Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, look, Justin and I worked together at another shop here in the city for a couple of years. And then uh, we just celebrated our four year anniversary at, at Release, which is our company. And uh, things are good right now. What, what was your first connection? Pearl Jam and Fish? <laughs> <laughs> Burger. Definitely a burger oh, was yeah. like the first the first connection. But big, yeah, we big burger guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pearl Jam is another thing that I uh I'm a huge fan of. So <laughs> And and just like on that level of like intensity, I mean Justin the same with fish. Yeah. Yeah. Music in general, and that's like that's the fucking lie that you're told. You know, like for me that's the lie you're told when you're in treatment or when you're getting help is that you know, you're never going to be able to do this, this, mm-hmm. and this ever again. And that's the complete opposite of my experience. You know, and so, like, kind of going back to what you just asked, like, how did you know you were ready? Well, I had to start doing things. I had to start seeing friends. I started, ha- I started having to go home for holidays and, like, mm-hmm. seeing family and, like, walking through some of those uncomfortable feelings. And now I literally go wherever I want and do whatever the hell I want. I mean, obviously, with COVID, you know, we've been shut down for a minute, but talk about like live concerts or trips or you know playing golf or whatever it is I mean that's just the life that I've been given and, and I wouldn't trade it for anything yeah I just had my friend uh, Chris also just uh, Chris Eisler who you've gotten to know he's been sober from uh, for about a year or so uh, and it's it's interesting because he, he's spoken about this before about just how you know now in that next sort of phase it's Everyone's has is a little bit more mindful and like sometimes apologetic uh, when it's like, oh, is it going to be okay to you know be drinking around you? How did you sort of like tiptoe those conversations? And I mean, I'm sure it still happens to this day. Yeah, I mean, people are confused. Yeah, you know, and like I've had to accept that I can only control like, to the end of my fingertips and to the end of my toes and anything like outside of that. Mm-hmm. So if someone's super nervous or they want to ask those questions, that's fine. It doesn't bother me. Obviously, early on, like. You know, there were some conversations around, you know, can we have alcohol in the house? Can we do this? And the truth is, for me today, like, none of that shit bothered me. Like, there's nothing that a drink or a drug is going to do for me today that's going to make my life any better. So, you know, you guys go have your cocktails, do your thing, like, whatever. And, and I love to go out. I love to have fun. Like, I love to be around it. You know, I love that energy. But um, it's not something that, like, at all these mm-hmm. days. And, and like people can do what they want. Like, yeah, I, I was gonna say I feel like you'd encourage whoever you're with to just do them because yep. you're controlling you, they're controlling them, and you know, it's just as long as it's being done within reason, it's just natural. Well and the thing is it's it's hilarious because what I've learned over time is the only people that actually give a shit whether you're drinking or not are most likely the people that have a problem. Because they're so, they want everyone to join them so that they, you know, like that's like they're the only people that have ever said shit to me, you know, or like had like the comment like, dude, what's wrong with you? Don't drink. You know, like that kind of shit. Sure enough, like six months, a year later, like that guy's in rehab or that guy's getting sober, whatever it is. So it's not, just understanding that it's not my shit. Mm-hmm. Hayward Field, a place that is so much more than just a stadium. It's where some of the greatest track and field athletes have broken world records. It's the place where people have watched their Olympic dreams become a reality. And now you've got an opportunity to have a piece of it. The 2021 virtual Eugene Marathon medals are crafted from the salvaged East Grandstand steps at historic Hayward. Yes, virtual race fatigue is real, but this is one definitely worth running. 
I'm going to be running a marathon relay with a couple of my buddies, and we'll see if we can try and break three hours collectively. But right now, if you head to eugenemarathon.com, you can register for the 5K, half marathon, or marathon, and you'll get 25% off if you use code CITIUS25 at checkout. The medals themselves are worth it. Go out there, have a good time, pump out you know, 3.1 miles, 13.1, or even 26.2, and get a piece of history. That's eugenemarathon.com and promo code CITIUS25 at checkout to save 25% on your entry. Now, you have to take that addictive personality and apply it to something else. Mm -hmm. Is this where running comes into the picture, or how exactly do we connect the dots here? So, running... Again, like I can't even explain how much I hated running. And so I checked into rehab, I think 239. My first 30 days in rehab, I think I packed on another 10, so I'm 250. And uh, in that same uh, experience where I looked at myself in the mirror, I think I also noticed that I had a couple chins that weren't there before. And I was like, I woke up, you know, because and this is going to sound hilarious, but I remember kind of like almost like flirting with some girls in rehab and then not like being into it. (laughs) I wasn't seeing myself, you know, like I was like, it's like I I wasn't aware of what I looked like. Respect the confidence. (laughs) Yeah. So look, man, it started for me. And this is what I kind of tell anyone who wants to start running. And, And I'll preface this by saying I am not, you know, the fastest guy, I'm not, you know, I just got a watch and I've been running for many years now to like finally start to see like what this whole time thing is about. But for people that want to start running, I just say start walking. Mm-hmm. Like just start walking, just commit to going out. Like we did this morning, going out 15 minutes and coming back 15 minutes. Because if you go out 15, you got to come back. And in treatment, they had this like, this, basically this lap that I was allowed to do once I moved into like a, a little bit lower supervision that included this this hill, and I started doing laps, just walking, walking around it. And then one day, I remember like I felt felt a little extra something, and I, in the step. Yeah, <laughs> a little pep, and I I started jogging a little bit. And so then I was like, you know, I was jogging for ten minutes and walking for ten, and and it just kind of uh, built off each other. So that was kind of my first. Like, okay, I can do this. It's not that bad. It's actually great to clear the head, put some music on, whatever it is. But the real, the real moment that everything changed for me was I, I moved to New York, so like early 12. What was Sandy? Was Sandy Sandy was 12, yeah. Yeah, so Sandy knocked out the marathon that year. So I didn't know what that was about. The next year, a couple of friends and myself went to like 13, went watch the marathon and I just remember being on First Avenue and like being brought to tears like being brought to just seeing the energy and the emotion and and the whole thing I mean I was totally blown away I had no idea what it was even and my dad had run marathons before um, so I knew like it was kind of a thing but I didn't actually ever like look into it I never even thought it would be possible right it's one of those things that kind of have on this list that you would never even think about and I made the declaration that night I was like I'm doing it next year and I haven't you know aside from COVID missed a year Mm -hmm. in New York since and you know those are some of the 
it, it, like the New York City Marathon, without a shadow of doubt, is my favorite day of the year. I mean, there's just nothing that even touches it. It's probably the best day in New York City. I think yeah. so, too. It's like the city but is just New York cheering for everyone. That First Avenue you described is a million people. Like, it's the wall of sound. You start to hear it coming off of the Queensboro Bridge. I, I quit sports in high school, but it's probably the closest I've ever felt to being like a professional athlete. <laughs> yeah. Coming up, I mean, they're cheering for you. Yeah. It's, it doesn't it's, matter who you are, how fast you're going, or anything like that. It's incredible. Yeah. That's what I always say. I mean, like, it's about, like, look, there's been different presidents. I mean, like, we've seen, I've seen, you know, like, I've kind of seen the world change and different hot topics, and, and like, we don't need to get into all that stuff. But on that day, my biggest takeaway is always, like, we're all on the same team. Mm-hmm. We're all on the same team here. Like, and I think if we took a little bit of that into our world, it would be a better place. And there's no race, religion, politics on that day. You know, like, everyone just wants you to finish. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. such a beautiful beautiful thing and like that like crossing that finish line it's a feeling that you know you can't really replicate and it's not what you would think you know it's not this like exhilarating it's just each time is a little different I just the emotion there is is so powerful yeah now the training for the first one I mean what do you remember about it because you know it's it's one thing to start off you know you know, walk 10 minutes, jog 10 minutes, and, you know, it, many people have different ways of getting to the starting line, but was there ever a point where you're like, this is, this might be a little harder than, than, than I thought? <laughs> and what did you get, what exactly did you do for training? So, <laughs> this is where the, the runners listening to this are probably gonna laugh a little bit. I've never, like, followed a training program. I've never, like, my philosophy of training for the marathon is such. You start 12 to 16 weeks out, which is, I think, generally... We're on the right page so far. Yeah, so far. This is where everything goes. 16 more than 12. And, like, honestly, what I do, it's really, like, it's a Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday for me. It's just, so, one of the things I take a great deal of pride in is convincing people to do the marathon. Mm-hmm. So I have my argument kind of down. And one of the things you hear about training is it takes up too much time. I don't have the time to do it. Which I say bullshit because I the, way, the way the way I've trained for every marathon I've ever run, and mind you, I'm doing three forty-five, four hours, whatever. Like I, it's not sprinting this thing, but two short runs during the week and a long run on the weekend. And the long run on the weekend, which is typically Sunday, is a little bit longer than the last one. And if I can get up to like you know an eighteen or twenty, like one time before. Mm-hmm. The gun goes off. I'm I'm pretty confident I'll cross it. I hate line. to break it to you, but that is the program. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I'm on. Then, then, then hire me. I'll train some people. You coach. You coach. But it's all right. It goes back to the mind, like right. I mean, yeah. I mean, you if you could put in mileage like that Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, which is virtually what I've done for my two slash three training sessions or, or years. You know, all you got to do is just get yourself to the start line healthy and in the right mindset, and you hear Frank Sinatra, and you're ready to go. Yeah. You know, it's it's if you're not racing it to right. it's like the Olympics, right? Who the hell cares whether it's two forty five, three forty five, four forty five, or five forty five? Just beat the sun, beat the uh, sunset. You know, like it's, <laughs> and even then, sometimes you you get past sunset, and like you still see like these. I mean, I'm moved seeing the people who are coming in at night. Absolutely. 
So that first one, and so what's made at this point? What is it now? Five or six New York City marathons you've had? Six, six. I've done six. You said every finish has felt a little bit different, but like I guess, what do you? What are some of the key ones that that you remember? Well, I think for me, like like the marathon is always my kind of like year review, right? Like I I just know where I am in life, and it's always that kind of like that reset, that cleanse, that detox kind of like putting the year behind me, behind me and moving forward into like the new year. So, um, I guess that's what I mean by that. You know, it it just always feels like, I mean, life is crazy, right? So, you know, having, having that time to really go out there and just be with the people and think about where I am. I mean, I do some of my best thinking during my long run. Even, you know, today is like we've talked a lot about my sobriety and my recovery and all that shit on this, on this talk here. You know, running is one of the greatest tools I've been given because at any time I can go reset the mind and, and clear the mind. And people in my life know that. They'll say, like, do you go for a run? Let's talk after. You know, because it's just such a release for me. Um, but I think, I mean, obviously the first one, right? Like the first first time you cross that finish line it's an unbelievable feeling uh you know i guess one of my favorite marathon stories is um oh man i'm getting emotional my brother so my brother and uh my brother's best friend in college had a brother that was going through shit at the same time as i was he he died unfortunately didn't didn't make it his name is cj and cj has become a good friend of mine, we, and we we do the marathon every year. But the one year we were just like, let's do it together, you know, and like let's let's start together and let's finish together. And we were able to do that. And I'm I'm blanking on what year it was because they all kind of jumbled together. But you know, we did it in about four hours. We lost each other two or three times. <laughs> you know, you're catching up. I'm falling back. Whatever it was. But the point was, we crossed that finish line together. And uh, there was something that happened in that moment where, like, we were honoring his brother and, you know, what we were doing that was really special to me. And um, he's, he's hooked, too, so he's going to be, you know, doing this thing as long as I am. Um, I guess that you kind of already answered it, but what is it about, like, the physical act of running? I mean, the phrase, a runner's high, gets thrown around. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you, feel, how, you, how you feel about that. And sort of, like, how do you – how would you sort of uh, – I mean, how would you describe what you get out of the the physical act? I mean, look, I think for me, getting past that first, like learning to really get past that first mile or two and then settling in, I am someone that, I mean, like my, I never want to do the same course twice. I don't know why, I just... (laughs) I like, I hate knowing how far I've run based on like seeing this peer here. Like even this morning, like I didn't want to know like what the <laughs> miles were. So like, I just, I don't, I'm a head case a little bit with that stuff. So my, my, like my routine, if you will, is I, I pretty much curate a playlist for every time I go out, no matter how long, um, and whatever mood I'm in, like, you know, I'll do the sappy love songs. I'll do like the down and dirty, like whatever it is, like I'll, I'll, I'll make the playlist and then um, 
I think for me, like the physical thing is just knowing that I put in the work, like just knowing that my body showed up and that I showed up and that like I honored the commitment to do something and that for, for however many years I've, I've continued to honor that commitment. Mm-hmm. And there's days when, you know, I feel like shit and I don't want to, I don't want to do it. And sometimes those are the best runs because you get past that feeling and then you kind of settle into, um, you know, it's like, I think this is why, like, I love golf, too, because mm-hmm. you're not, you're just, it's just you. You're just playing against yourself, and there's something really refreshing to that. Yeah, but I also think that, like, a lot of people get down on themselves if they have a shitty workout or a shitty run or actually wake up in the morning and say, you know what, fuck it, I don't want to run today. Like, what I've taken out of it is, is that's okay. If you don't want to go out there that day, it's all right, because you'll just grab it tomorrow or, or at night or whatever it is, and... Again, as long as you show up to that start line healthy and, and have your body show up with you, that, that's really all that's ever mattered. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't. I'm very <laughs> – hanging out with you guys is fucking – this is bad news. <laughs> you guys are sick, but in the best way. <laughs> but I haven't crossed the, like, competitive line of running yet. I really want to cherish, like, and hold this, like, what I – my oh, experience totally. really close to my heart. But, like, I have this sense that – one of these runs with you guys is going to, like, you know, kick me into another game. I'm very nervous for that. Well, I will say every run we've gone on where we've we've committed on text message group the night before, like, yeah, easy run, let's go out. You've been the one who's been pushing the pace every single time. Bullshit. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, I agree. And, yeah, and, and that's kind of, like, the funniest part is, I guess, first run we ever did together, I think I had asked you, it's like, oh, so it's like, uh, I... He had met, as, as Zach Price had mentioned a couple times, that he's done a marathon. And I was like, curious, I was like, what have you done for a half marathon? And you're like, I, I have no interest in a, in a half marathon. It's like, and, and I was like, oh, okay. I mean, half marathons are my favorite distance to run. But it, I, I, do, I do like how the fresh perspective that we bring to, to you sort of with the sport and that you, sending you, uh, you sent us a photo of like the Bowerman track clip, sending you the, uh, like the, the gear and, the first question after it was, are they good? And it's like, <laughs> dude, it's the best team in in the country. And so, uh, no, I do also appreciate the the, the innocence and the, and the new perspective you bring to, to our group. <laughs> that, that was me. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're currently a new guy. <laughs> I mean, my mind is so warped that like half marathon, like, just do the full. <laughs> That's the way I think. It's like, why are you going to do a half, dude? What's, what's up? Like, Keep it going, like play through. I don't yeah. know. Well, you're starting to say that about the marathon now, so watch out, people. Yeah. So I guess one of the latest updates is you, you've been you've been running with us for a couple months, and um, you know we we you've jumped in some workouts with us. We did one on the track. You and I did one in Central Park. The Central Park one was very interesting because I was like, I'm going to do you know this you know six twenty pace or something like that, and he was like go do your thing and then like on the rest part I would run back towards Zach and uh, I was like you know what I, I would lurk I would look behind me and I'm like I think he's suffering and like he's gonna want to bail on this at some point so maybe we cut out like Harlem Hill and Central Park and I turn around and you're smiling you're just like uh, you you were pretty amped up in that moment and you're like let's keep this going and then you were just like and I was like, all right, but do we cut out Harlem Hill? You're like, no, 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 I never cut out Harlem Hill. And I'm like, shit, all right, <laughs> I have to go up Harlem Hill right now. So it was just, it was just so interesting just to see, 
I guess is it is it fair to say like an addiction to that just that uh, adrenaline that comes with the sport? I like feeling good, man, and running makes me feel good. I think that's the simplest way to put it. You know, like I, I don't. That's just that's just what it is. You know, like even today, like I know the fact that I woke up, came down here, you know, hit a couple miles with you guys, had this talk, like. What is it? Eight thirty nine. Like the day is off to a really good start. My mind is going to be fresh mm-hmm. and ready to go, and that's just something that running does for me, or any workout. But um, running specifically, just and, and look, I've had people tell me marathons are bad for your body, and this and that, and like, guess what? I got a lot of other things that are bad for my body. So I think I think like this is a healthy alternative we can get behind. Yeah. So the idea you have is after coming a couple of these track workouts we've done, you say, you call them, I love that how you call them sprints. And to us, we're just like, yeah, we're like, we're not even mid-pack when it comes to just like even the, 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 the people at the sub-elite side of the sport. And so we've been doing sprints with you. Um, you said, if I'm going to keep doing these sprints, you guys have to commit to one hard endurance challenge. And you are very familiar with, you know, the... David Goggins of the world, and, 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 you know, he's done, like, the Rich Roll podcast that I've listened to. I know the guy's a maniac, and so there's something about this, you know, four times four times four, so four miles at the top of every hour, every four hours for 48 hours, so it comes out to 48 miles in 48 hours. Um, like, we're not ready to do it on the same weekend that everyone is going to be doing it, but we're, we're thinking of doing this a month later, so in April. Uh, so what, what is it that about something like that, that, that you want to try for so many years, I was so full of shit <laughs> and I would say I was going to do something. I would never do it. And that's all this is about, right? Like saying, I'm going to do this thing and then being able to say, yes, I and I'm fully aware I could get hurt, I could not finish, but like I'm gonna go and I'm gonna, and I don't know why you're saying think about it. Like, we've agreed to do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this addictive personality when channeled properly is very inspirational because I never in a million years would do this, but uh, Zach Clark is inspired well, I, to do it. When, when, when you said, oh, I've got my you know, New York City Marathon pitch to people just nailed down, I'm like, oh, he just he used that card on us yeah. and we signed up right away. Touche, salesman. <laughs> But look, it's not about the run, it's about the people, you know, it's about the hang, it's going to be about the time we spend in between, you know, the four mile jaunts, it's going to be about the, you know, the 3 a.m., you know, running on the West Side Highway when no one, like, there's literally no one around us, and those are the moments that we're going to take take with us for forever, I mean, look, like, Zach, you just got married, congrats, and like, next for you and like for me like I just had this whirlwind experience of going on television and getting, getting like so like life moves very fast and I think if you can you know for me like putting aside that weekend and committing to each other that we're all going to show up like there's something really powerful in all that mm-hmm. yeah well needless to say we're very excited oh but, we're super but, pumped uh, we'll uh, probably tie in like a fundraising component as well that'll uh hopefully be a hit. Now, I want to try and loop in some pro runners to get them involved virtually uh, in a way. So I'm, you know, I'm excited for it. I do, I, the first two times, you, the three of us have talked about this. 
I think you were underselling how tough it's going to be. <laughs> but then you said to us, it was just like, uh, there's this pain in your leg that you want to feel that Zach Price is describing. I was like, I don't know what Zach was talking about. I think that was Zach just tying up at the end of a marathon. It's not a good thing. <laughs> no, you, it was a good thing. It, it was, it was uh, Steve Finley told me at the end of, at the end of the race, you're supposed to feel something between your legs. It's an outer body experience that you just hit that other gear. And I don't think we're going to hit it on the four by four by 48, but you know, but we're going to have an out of body experience. Though. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I love the 3 a.m. description. You're, you're so right. It's literally just going to be us. And, you know, the next time you're on that same path on the West Side Highway at like a, you know, a random Saturday at 10 o'clock, you're, you're going to think back immediately to, oh, we were just here mm-hmm. doing a fundraiser, awesome endurance run. Like, you'll never forget that. Yeah. So you've got the Big Ten coming up, right? The 10 years sober, right? Yeah, August, hopefully. I can get there. What sort of like hitting these milestones, five, one, five, I mean, like, is it, is there something that makes each one of these special? Like, is there a big sort of like shebang plan for, for this? Not at this point. No. Man. You know, it's, it's a day at a time, truly. Mm-hmm. It, it is. It's just such a gift to live the way that I'm living. I don't, I don't get caught up on like the celebrations. I mean, it's nice, you know, if I can be with family and, and a couple people that, you know, special to me that's cool but um that's not like that's not why i do it you know it's not why i do it um i do it because i get to do things like this with you guys you know Can we at like, least do like a 10 mile or celebration yeah. maybe <laughs> oh I mean, that'd be cool yeah. yeah we'll do 10 miles for each year and do 100 <laughs> spread over 10 weeks <laughs> yeah, yeah i got the goggins and i'm gonna do london new york and i'm good for the year and then we'll talk about you know going out to the desert and running really far <laughs> well i saw um Tasha, we, we did the, the 5K in Central Park, and she was even, like, floating around, uh, you know, she's going to do the marathon, and it, I think London and New York is what she's, she's floated around and, and, and talked about. Um, how has she sort of taken, you know, into, oh, Zach's got the running thing, too? Like, what's that been like? I mean, she's, she's an athlete, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I think... She's also from Orange County, so running in 32-degree weather for her is not, like, sign me up. (laughs) um, I'm excited to see, like, when the weather changes here a little bit, and I think we'll be able to go out and and mix it up a little bit more than we've been able to. But she'll she'll be fine. She's an athlete. She's, like, you know, she's got the willpower thing going on, so she'll crush it. Yeah. And so are you thinking one of the two, maybe push yourself to see how fast it can go, or still not even getting caught up on times? I think so you talk to me after April 10th. <laughs> Let's see how we recover from this little uh, party we're throwing in early April, and then we'll reset and refocus, and maybe I'll, you know, train with you guys or something. So one of the things that I caught on that you had mentioned before was, you know, earlier in the week you had this thought about vocalizing these dreams. Now, what was it that brought that to mind, and is it like, is there a dream out there that you wanted to vocalize? No, I'm pretty, I'm pretty vocal about my dreams at this point. I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not afraid to say what I want to say. I like to dream big, you know, and like, even like with this, this, uh, we just started a, a nonprofit, uh, release recovery foundation, which is going to provide money for people who can't afford addiction treatment. And, um, 
you know, like even with that, like you're talking to the board, like I think they think I'm crazy sometimes. I'm like, no, we can do a million dollars in this amount of time. We can do this, we can do that. And like, I believe that you can manifest that. Like I believe if you put it out there, it's going to come back to you. And vice versa, like if you're super negative and you're like doubting yourself all the time or you don't believe that something can happen, it's not going to happen. So. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think Chris and I have spoken about this numerous times in the past. That's also the beauty of the marathoning and, and what roadrunners and other organizations do is the philanthropy aspect that's tied to mm-hmm. all the races with the bibs, which, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're going to run New York and London for a release and make sure to really get out there how others can help raise money for the, uh, the foundation. Yeah. I'm, I'm super pumped on that. Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, even from just seeing like the, the t-shirt sales that you guys did, where yeah. it was just like, there's a way to, you know, we talk about the, the show all the time. People go on there they, and then they come out of it and they're going to be the, the Instagram models and, and influencers. But, you know, I think w- what I've seen is just you've, only use that momentum to continue driving for more uh, and better change just within in, in the world. So, yeah, I'm excited to to keep following along, and it's gonna be it's gonna be good. Don't worry, I'll be roping you guys into some shit. <laughs> you already have. <laughs> All right, Zach. Well, I appreciate you taking the time for this, and you know, here's to to more miles, and I'm sure we'll do you know some uh, some debrief after we do Goggins and April. I have a question. Where uh, where can the listeners, um, whether it help out with release, with the foundation? Yeah, I mean, look, if people want to support the team, I, I think, like Chris said, we're going to have some type of fundraising element to this challenge we're doing in early April. But if you just want to hop on and, and donate, it's just the release recovery foundation.org, as it sounds. Um, and uh, we'll look for for you there and if you want to send us an email or reach out like we respond to shit. So. Yeah. And I would say in the old adage of see something, say something, I've had a positive experience with reaching out to Zach and to Justin when I saw a friend who did need help, just a discussion and they've been willing to drop everything. So, you know, if, if you see something, definitely reach out to me. For sure. We're here for you guys. Awesome. Thanks to Zach Clark and Zach Price for a fun conversation. I'm amped to get this challenge underway. April 9th to April 11th. Keep your eyes peeled on Zach Clark's Instagram, the City of Smag Instagram, the Release Recovery Instagram, my personal Instagram. We're bringing you updates on how we're going to get through these 48 miles in 48 hours. If you want to show your support for us, donate to the Release Recovery Foundation. As you heard, the work they're doing is tremendous, and I'm really proud to call Zach a friend. The link is in the show notes for how you can donate directly to our Goggins Challenge attempt. Subscribe to the City of Smag newsletter to get all your running news in your inbox from me. And if you want to keep this show going strong in 2021, throw us a couple bucks on Patreon or pick up some cool merch. The links to all of that are in the show notes. Thanks again to Momentus for sponsoring the podcast. They're offering 20% off your first order. I'll be using them to fuel throughout the attempt. Use code Sidious at checkout when you visit livemomentous.com. That's all I've got. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Legs are feeling good. Let's see how they feel next week.